Good morning. I'd like to share a couple of things with you before we get into the, the message that uh, have, I have prepared for this morning, and hopefully the Lord is with it as well. The first thing is, when, whenever Jeff asks me to speak, uh, it's, it's a great privilege. I, I don't underestimate the privilege that it is to be able to share. And, and he makes it so easy for me to, to get here. And uh, part of the reason for that is not only Jeff and how he handles things, but also he has surrounded himself with a, a collection of volunteers and staff people that just do an outstanding job. So that when I arrive here on Sunday morning, the only thing I have to do is a sound check. I don't, I don't have to do anything else. And I barely have to even do a sound check because they're, they're just on top of it all. So can you just take a minute and just a round of applause for all those support people that serve and do so many things. It's just a, it's a great privilege. It, it makes it uh, so easy. I, I think I get more email the week before I speak from people at Grace Chapel who are working to get it organized than I, than I get from anyone else because they just want to make sure everything's taken care of. Uh, Jeff and I had a conversation on the phone on Saturday, and, and at the end of the conversation, I said, thank you for making it so easy for me to be a part of Grace Chapel. The second thing that I just want to talk about is um, I, I was a pastor for 10 years prior to getting into education. So I was 10 years as a pastor, now I've been 15 years in education. I know I don't look that old, but, uh, but when I was a pastor, I, there was a guy that I met, and uh, he was an obvious non-believer. I mean, uh, if you have a category called pagans, this guy was a pagan, and he was not ashamed of it. He was open about it. He told me, I don't believe you. I don't believe what you preach. I don't believe anything. But he says, it's kind of fun to be in your church. And so he came. He attended the church. And uh, he attended a class that we had. It was called a, a believer's class, you know, basic beliefs that believers need to have. And he sat in on that class. And one of the things that we talked about in the class was was offerings and tithes and offerings and things like that. And in it, I mentioned that some people give 10% of their income to the church. And, uh, you know, then we went on. Well, some months later, this guy came to me and he says, you know what? He says, I want to know Jesus Christ. And he gave himself over and he trusted in Christ as a savior. And uh, we had a conversation later. We were talking because we came, became great friends. And he said to me, he said, I was sitting in that class and you said that 10% of people's income go to the church. And he, he said, my immediate thought was, those people are crazy. Those people are crazy. And he said, now, he says, I want to be a part of that. And he became, in the church where I pastored, he became the go-to guy financially for me. Uh, we, had, we were in a church where a, a lot of people came with needs, and instead of giving them money, uh, I, we would give them a business card with my signature on it, and they would take it to a local store, and the local store would give them staples, you know, basic things that they needed, and then they would build the church. And then I would take that bill and I would give it to this guy and he paid it. And, you know, it was so wonderful to have individuals that supported the church in such a financial way. And so I tell you that long drawn out story to encourage you during this holiday time to really try to remember the church and to support the church financially. Uh, it's a great relief to the mind of the pastors and his staff to be able to know that God has provided through you the things for this church. So I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would use your message from Hebrews chapter 11 to encourage us to walk by faith and to live by faith so that as the storms of life surround us, we will have an umbrella to get us through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, it is oftentimes called the hall of faith, the hall of faith. 
Now, this week we, we, we heard about a Hall of Fame manager, Sparky Anderson, who passed away. Sparky Anderson, a Hall of Fame, and they, they give all of these marvelous credentials. You know, they talk about how he is the, the winningest manager for the Detroit Tigers as well as the Cincinnati Reds. They talk about him being the first manager to win a, a World Series in the American League and the National League. You know, all of these wonderful, glowing things about him. And you think, wow, that's, that's great to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, in the Faith Hall of Fame, or the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, they start with a martyr. They start with a martyr. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you would look at verse 4, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, my Bible doesn't have Hebrews. Oh, there it is. Sorry. I couldn't find it. I don't know what happened. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. Cain and Abel is a story that you're very familiar with, and you know that Abel, he ended in death. His sacrifice, he ended up dying. His brother killed him because his sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. Kind of an interesting way to start a hall of faith, isn't it? Everybody wants to sign up if we're going to die, right? But that seems to be an interesting thing here because what happens here is, although it might be discouraging in some minds for entering this hall of fame, they're trying to say, the writer of Hebrews, he's trying to say that the choice informs the reader that faith may cost you something, may cost you something. Sometimes we want this easy path of life But right from the start, Hebrews 11, he says, you know what? To trust, to believe, to have faith, it might cost you a little bit. Now, the question is, why doesn't he start with Adam and Eve? You know, they were the first ones, right? Well, because of what he says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Remember, Adam and Eve walked by sight. They saw. I don't know what they saw in terms of their relationship with God, but they saw God at work. And so they lived by sight. They didn't live by faith. And so he starts with those ones that are just like you and I. You see, Cain and Abel were conceived after the fall, after image was marred. And so their natures and their capacities and their capabilities are just like yours and mine. So if he talks about Adam and Eve, that's a little different category. But when he starts with Cain and Abel... That's us. He's talking about people just like us and the way that we are. And so he encourages us to understand this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 teaches about Abel and how the power to come near to God is a very important part of surviving in life, is a very important part of fully receiving what it is that God has for us to enjoy. So this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to look together at the responsibility of the individual as he approaches God and then what it is that God does in response to that. So it's man's responsibility and God's response to that. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. He says in verse 4, By faith Abel offered God. By faith Abel offered God. You see, there is no approach to God apart from faith. Uh, He reminds us of that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Verse 6, he says this, 
He says, for, uh, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot get to God. We cannot approach God without faith. So the responsibility of the individual, of the individual is to approach God by faith. That's what he tells us, to go by faith. Only faith in what God has for us is going to get us to God. Now, be careful here. We want to make sure that this passage does not suggest or imply that faith in anything is rewarded by God. That's not the point. You've heard that before, right? All you've got to do is have faith. All you have to do is have faith, and and everything's going to work out. Well, when you look at this passage, you will begin to see that there is a very specific guideline under which you have faith. You have faith in the things that God says. You have faith in God and what he's capable of doing. You don't have faith necessarily in yourself. You know the story of the Wizard of Oz? At the end, you know, the the wizard, uh, he is exposed as this guy, and he comes out and he says to each one of the people, whether it be the Scarecrow or the Tin Man or Dorothy or to the Cowardly Lion, you've always had within yourself what was necessary to accomplish, you know, to have courage, to have a brain to have a heart, all of those things. That's false. That's false. You don't have that capacity within yourself to accomplish those things before God because we're sinners, because we're sinners. And Cain will expose that and explain that to us in just a moment. But what he's telling us is he's saying, by faith, we have a faith that's controlled and governed by what God says. Now, don't you think that Adam and Eve told the story of the garden to their sons? I think they did. And I think they also reminded them that, you know what? Whenever it came to its conclusion and to its end, God shed blood. God brought death and put skins on us to cover our sin because we were exposed. And so the message somehow got to Cain and Abel. And Abel chose to embrace it. Cain chose to ignore it. And so the approach to God is an approach by faith, by faith in what God does. Now, approach is very important. I I am not a golfer. I have tried to play golf. I admire anyone that can play golf. I I sometimes watch it on television because I think that golfers have a unique sense about them to be able to do what they do. You know, I, I, I know that you're supposed to drive the ball long and straight, and then you go up to the ball when it's on the, the fairway and you're supposed to approach the green, you know, and all that kind of stuff like that. So I went out and I had lessons with a guy who was a, a friend of mine, and he was trying to teach me about golf. And about halfway through, he finally stopped me and he says, okay, stop right now. He says, you are not approaching the game properly. He says, you are approaching the game like a gorilla going after bananas. He says, you've got to settle down. You know, approach means everything. You know, and how you approach God is very important. You know, you approach God by faith. Now, notice what happens with Abel here. It says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. He offered unto God. Now, that word offered or that, that word brought is the same word that is used of the wise men in the New Testament, uh, in, in the Gospels, when the wise men brought gift, gifts to Jesus. It's that same idea. It's that same attitude. Why did the wise men bring gifts? Because they saw him as the king as the the future king. And so they brought gifts to that one and they bowed and gave the gifts. The same way this attitude of Abel's is he's offering this to God in faith, understanding that God is the one to whom all is deserving. And so he approaches this in this faith way. He carried to God, he brought to God this offering. Now I wonder where the offering took place. 
don't you? I think that it took place at the, at the place where the garden was. You know, not in the garden, obviously, because remember, uh, God had put an angel there to defend that. But I think it, it took place close to that place because of his understanding of what had happened with his mom and dad. I think he understood that, and so he took his offering there. In Genesis, we find out about Cain. He offered unto God, and he approached God and brought a sacrifice. He acknowledged him as the supreme being, so why was he rejected? Well, that's the second responsibility of man. The first responsibility is to approach by faith. The second responsibility is to approach or to accept God's terms, to accept God's terms. Look at what it says in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. It's all about what God offers, what God wants, what God hopes. The terms are there for him. You see, God looked with favor on the sacrifice of Abel. Now, think about the contrast here. Abel's sacrifice was from his flock. Abel's sacrifice was death. Abel's sacrifice was bloody. Abel's sacrifice included a struggle. You can see all of these elements in Abel's sacrifice. Now, what about Cain's sacrifice? Cain's sacrifice came out of the ground, and he took it to God. No death, no blood, no struggle. Now, that's completely contrary to what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they sinned. God shed blood, skinned the animals, gave them the skins to cover themselves. It is a complete understanding on Abel's part of God's terms, accepting his terms for what is there. Abel's sacrifice is as a sinner realizing the covering of sin is necessary. He, he had seen... He had observed what his parents had, had, had God do for them, covering them. There was no more covering with the fruit of the ground. It was the animals. It was the death. It was the blood sacrifice. Uh, Cain completely ignored that. You see, Abel's is an act of faith, believing he would be accepted because he did what God said. Uh, whether God told it, and I think, I think God was still communicating with them because Genesis chapter 4, he goes after Cain. And so I think God still communicates with them. And I think Abel accepted the words of God and Cain did not. Cain came on his terms, not on God's terms. Cain came relying on his work. After all, it was hard work, right? To provide a beautiful crop, it's hard work. You know, you have to till, you have to plant, you have to fertilize, you have to pick weeds. It's hard work. But God says, no, that's not my way. That's not my way. Cain came as a patronizer, not as a sinner. Abel came as a sinner, saying, God, I need to do what you ask me to do. This is a tough thing, isn't it? Because when you see the amount of work that goes into what Cain did, you're puzzled. You're thinking, man, he worked so hard. Especially in 21st century America, we, we celebrate the hard worker, right? I, I mentioned I, I presently teach at uh, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, and I teach uh, Western civilization to freshmen. And one of the things that we do is we do projects. And when you do projects, you hand out this thing called a rubric. And on that rubric, you list all of the requirements of the project. And in my class, we do this thing called a how-to book. And for the how-to book, they have to write uh, and compose a book on how to be a knight or how to be a lord or how to be a, a monk or something like that, and they choose one of those topics. And I had a girl do one of these books for me, and you know, I had the rubric, and everything's listed on the rubric. All that you need to do is right there on the rubric. I hand that out and all of those kinds of things. 
She brings the book back. It was absolutely beautiful. You know, you could tell that she had spent weeks at uh, the scrapbook place or Michael's or one of the... It was absolutely gorgeous. I open it up and I begin to go through it and it was beautifully decorated and it was just... I, it was just one of these breathtaking things, and, and I'm thinking, I'm going to ask her if I can keep this. And all I did was look, look at it. Well, then, as time passed, I said, well, it's time to grade it. I open up, and I begin to read it. And it has nothing to do with Middle Ages. It has nothing to do with knights and lords and those kinds of things. It has nothing at all to do with that. None of it. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. And you could see that she had worked a tremendous amount, and none of it was in there about the Middle Ages. So I thought, oh, man, what am I going to do? So I call her and I say, listen, I said, you know, this has nothing to do with the Middle Ages. And she goes, I know, that was so boring. I just decided that I would do something from today. <laughs> what? You fail, right? I was stunned. I was completely stunned. But, you know, it was such, you know, how do you fail someone for that? Well, they didn't do what the rubric said. They didn't accept the terms of what was necessary to do well in the class. And you see, that's sometimes we forget that God has set the standard. And God's standard is by faith. It's not the hard worker. And oftentimes we get so caught up in doing and working and just sweat and blood. Because how awesome is it to be able to tell someone, you know what, I worked 85 hours this week. You wouldn't believe how exhausted I am. I've done so much. Instead of saying, I'm trusting God. <laughs> we love the story. We love to be able to describe our effort. But that's not what God wants. Instead, what God wants is for us to accept his terms. And his terms are to trust in the blood sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and not to depend on ourselves, but to depend on him and what he has done for us on the cross. You see, you're getting lost in the work. The hard-working man came to the altar and brought a gift to God, and God said, rejected, rejected. I was talking to a man one time. He was on his hospital bed. He was close to death. They had just talked about moving him to hospice, and we were talking to each other, and I said to him, the old diagnostic question, if you were to die tonight, do you think that you would get into heaven? And his reply to me was, I'm too good of a man not to. My heart was broken. Because remember, remember, we have to accept God's terms by faith, believing in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. It's about his work, not my work. Acceptable things acceptable, approachable, accepting the terms of God. We find these things for him. You see, when we are going to sacrifice, there are things that we have. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that the body is a sacrifice. We are to sacrifice our bodies as a living sacrifice to him. In Psalm, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, it talks about do good for others, share with others, for such a sacrifice is pleasing to God. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, we love verse 19 because it says that God shall supply all of our needs, right? But right before that, he tells us, he says, these good things are uh, uh, an acceptable, fragrant sacrifice to God. What are you sacrificing to God? 
You see, it's, it's about putting forth an effort, but putting forth an effort that are a part of his terms. In Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, Sacrifices to God, a broken and a contrite heart. What a marvelous sacrifice to give to God on his terms, accepting what it is that he says. Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, uh, May my prayers be like the evening sacrifice. You see, we go according to what it is that God wants from us, except his terms of what is done. And notice what happens. We have the responsibility of man is to approach God by faith. The responsibility of man is to accept his terms. And look at the response of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man. What's God's response to me when I bring my sacrifice by faith? When I approach God according to his terms and accept what it is that he wants me to do, he looks at me and he says, you're righteous. You see, obedience to God's word reveals our faith. When we are righteous, we are revealing our faith. Faith in God always brings obedience. Always brings obedience. Because you see, if we are looking to have our faith grow, we're in his word. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if we're in the word of God, what do we end up doing? What the word of God says. And so faith leads to righteousness. And God commends him here. God commends him and says, Only because of what is revealed and accepted by God, you're righteous. You're righteous. Now, some of us are uncomfortable with that, with that kind of reputation. We don't want to be that righteous person. You know, in, in, in high school, I, I, I observe students, and they don't like that. You know, they're, they're called holier than thou, better than. You know, they don't like those things. Well, please, I'm not telling you that you tell people you're righteous. I'm not telling you that you say I'm righteous. You do what God says, follow him by faith, and he says you're righteous. And what better compliment than that, than for God to say, you are a righteous man. But please remember that your righteousness is a result of obedience to him. Faith, responsibility, approaching God. The response is righteousness. When men come to God, the response God gives is righteousness or unrighteousness. In the case of Cain, it was unrighteousness, right? Cain revealed his heart. When Cain's sacrifice was rejected, the scripture says that he was angry and his face fell. Now, that doesn't sound like someone that was approaching God on his terms. It sounds like someone that was coming on his terms, and when his terms were denied, he became angry. And, you know, there, sometimes we forget there's grace in the Old Testament because what happens then is God goes to Cain. That's grace. God goes to Cain, and he says, Hey, where's your brother? And, of course, we've all probably even used this line. Am I my brother's keeper, is what Cain says. But Cain ends up killing his brother, and God rejects his sacrifice. You know, God understands our hearts and sees them. So when he makes the statement of righteous or unrighteous, or when he makes the statement of acceptable or unacceptable, he knows because he sees inside of our hearts. Cain's life was revealed and who he really was because Cain had a sinful heart that he wanted to fix instead of allowing God to fix you see, it's interesting, uh, Eve had to be talked into sinning. Remember with the serpent, uh, the devil? Eve had to be talked into it, not Cain. Cain embraced it. He moved immediately to it, revealing what he was inside and who he was. 
Cain chose murder. What he did was he decided, you know what? What God says doesn't matter to me. Instead, I'm going to be God, and I'm going to make the judgment. And so he acts as God and takes the life of Abel and removes Abel from the scene. Uh, And all it did was compound his problems. God's response was rejection of Cain. This morning, we want God's response to be that of acceptance, of acceptance. We want God to receive us. We want God to come to us. You see, God says in verse, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4, he says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man. I wonder how God did that. You know, when Abel's sacrifice was made, I wonder how God showed that it was an acceptable one. You know, was there some kind of a fire, perhaps, from heaven? Was there some kind of a verbal voice that God said, Great job, Abel. I, I don't know what he did, but I cannot imagine being able to fully grasp how marvelous it is to be accepted by God. And that's what Abel had the chance for. Now, you and I today, we, we have that same opportunity to understand that God accepts what we do through the encouragement of others, perhaps, by understanding what the Word of God says. I love Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah 26 says, uh, th- whose mind is stayed on thee, uh, peace will come to them. So there is a sense that when we're doing what God wants us to do, there's a sense of peace and contentment. But I don't know always how God reveals to us that it's acceptable, that he thinks we're righteous, but he does. And sometimes we have to just accept that by faith and decide, you know what, I'm going to live my life approaching God by faith, accepting his terms, and then allowing him to say, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. And by faith, trust and believe that that's happening. Notice the the second response of God. The first response of God is saying he is righteous. The second response of God is saying he is a witness perpetually. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It said, as a righteous man, when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. Even though he is dead. Abel still speaks. He is still a testimony. He is still a witness. He is still one that is saying, you know what? To do what God asks us to do is a good thing. To do what God asks us to do is, is the best thing. He still speaks. He still communicates that. Faith's voice speaks with a living voice down through the centuries. Faith's voice. This morning, as you consider the things that uh, Abel did, you want to have that enduring witness to faith because it gives us that opportunity to continue to be a witness even though we have left one place and gone to another. Now, we know that it was the blood that seemed to speak out. It was the blood that seemed to prick the conscience of his brother. But it was still the witness of Abel to stand and say, you know what? I'm going to do what God wants me to do and be faithful to that. The true action of faith always runs on beyond the lifetime of the individual, doesn't it? That's one of the great things uh, about having a Christian heritage. Uh, I, I, have, I was born in a Christian home, and I was raised in the church all of my life. I, I've, I've never known anything different than that. And, you know, sometimes there are those that get up and they share these testimonies, and their testimonies are just, you know, so unbelievable, you know. I can't even think of some of the things that people have done and God saved them from. And so I'm so impressed by that, that God would do that. But one of the things that's been so great about my life is my, my family and my, my uh, contacts, so many great Christian men and women, to be able to have that continually speaking in my mind. 
One of the men that uh, has meant a great deal to me and his testimony still rings in my life is the pastor from my church when I was a kid growing up. Uh, He is now bedridden and he has congestive heart failure. And even after having left where he was, the pastor, when I was 18 years old and having only returned once, we communicated over the years through letters and phone calls and things. And even today, he's in his bed, quiet, but his testimony of faith still resonates in my life. It's a great thing. You know, there are so many times when I will be sitting and doing something and his memory will come to me about how he handled things. I was recently sitting in a faculty meeting and I, 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 I was sitting there and it was, it was horrible. It was terrible. I mean, it was so excruciating. And I thought, I'm so glad I'm not the person speaking because I don't want people to feel about me how they feel about him. You know, I mean, it was just an excruciating meeting. meeting. And you know what happened? A memory of my pastor popped into my mind who always sat in the front row when we had guest speakers. And he would sit and he would take notes and he would listen and he would do whatever he could to make sure that that speaker thought that he was the only man on earth speaking at that time. And I'd be sitting there thinking, man, this is so boring, but look how engaged he is. And that prompted my spirit to change my attitude during that meeting to say, you know what? I need to listen to this person that's speaking. But that's the testimony that we want, isn't it? We want our testimony of faith to resound through the ages, to to go beyond ourselves, to go into the world. And we do that by doing what God wants us to do. The time of action is now, and that action is faith. As the troubles of life seem to flood upon us, as, as the rains come, as we have used that analogy through this series, as the rains come, we want to be able to move through the rain. And we do that with an umbrella of faith, an umbrella of faith that keeps us aware of the presence and the power of God in our lives. James Moffat is a theologian who wrote uh, Old and New Testament. He kind of translated those books of the Bible into his own uh, vernacular Some of the things that he did weren't the greatest, and so I wouldn't suggest you buy them. But uh, James Moffat had this to say about death. He said, Death is never the last word in the life of a righteous man. When a man leaves this world, be he righteous or unrighteous, he leaves something in the world. He may leave something that will grow and spread like a cancer or a poison, or he may leave something like the fragrance of perfume or a blossoming of beauty that permeates the atmosphere with blessing. Abel left a fragrance, a blossom of beauty because he approached God on his terms and accepted what God said. What a marvelous tribute to be able to imagine being so fragrant. What about you this morning? What about me this morning? Are we living by faith so as to have God say, you're righteous and your witness continues on. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us, first of all. Thank you for your grace that allows us to come to you over and over again. Because, Lord, we don't always get it. And we thank you that in your grace and in your patient way of dealing with us, you help us by using your word to prompt us, by using your spirit to encourage us, And Father, we ask that as we see the example of Abel and even Cain, that we would decide that we want to be Abel 
We want to be righteous and we want to have an eternal witness for your sake. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.